0: These podcasts are recorded in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional gathering place of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji-Cree, Dakota, and Dene people, in the homeland to the Métis Nation. Our water here is sourced from Shoal Lake 40 First Nation, and I pay my respects to the Inuit, First Nation, and Métis elders, past, present, and emerging. Please note that these podcasts are for information and educational purposes only. Feel free to consult with your physician or your mental health provider before starting or changing any of these wellness practices. And if at any time you experience unmanageable symptoms, please call 911 or attend your nurse hospital in order to find the support that you need. Hi, and welcome to the Journey with Julie podcast. I'm your host, Julie Long, and I believe it's in need to heal, especially when we do it together. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Journey with Julie. I'm your host, Julie Long, and I thought today I might share a little bit about who I am. If I'm going to sit opposite your computer screen and share some information and stories and wisdom in the hopes of supporting you and changing and healing your life, then perhaps maybe you'd like to know a little bit about me. So I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and my life since I was 21 has been in the service of others professionally, starting out as a teacher and then transforming into a counselor and then a therapist in the community, and then now a life coach and an online education provider. So people have often, you know, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a, a support circle where people share their opinion of you and you listen to it and you think, what, that's what people think of me? And I was just in a life coach training um, recently and and they did that exercise. And it's a very... Interesting activity to hear what people have to say about you. And one of the things that people often say about me is that I'm inspiring to them. And to me, I feel like I have just done what I wanted to do. And like I couldn't live if I didn't follow that voice in my mind. And and so people often ask me, How did you do this? And I thought, that it might be helpful to share my story and and how I did do this so that you know that I'm human, I'm normal, just like everybody else. And probably you'll hear something in my story that reminds you of what's happened to you in your life. And the reason why I want to share my story and share other people's stories and share information on this website and in these podcasts is because we're all human. We're all in this together. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but when we're really struggling, we feel like we're alone and we feel ashamed and we don't want to talk about the things that we're struggling with. And to me, that makes it ever so much harder to work our way through whatever adversity that we're currently in. And so... I think before I start sharing, I feel like one of the most important things that I think that all of us have in common is this human spirit, this resiliency, this innate capacity to heal. And if we can tap into that, then we can make our way through whatever adversity is in front of us. And sometimes we need support in doing it with somebody um, because sometimes the load is just too much to bear on our own and we're social creatures after all we're human beings and and um, there's power in numbers so um where shall I start I was I'm the sixth child of seven children to uh Maureen and Lloyd seven and my childhood was very busy i went to school and then went to sporting activities after school and i was surrounded by two parents who selfless, selflessly cared for their children um, but obviously that i was growing, i was born in 1978 and the atmosphere around mental health stress and dealing with life adversity was completely different back then and my parents had their own traumas in their own life and unlike now where most people uh, feel a bit more comfortable with going to see a counselor my parents um, didn't have that opportunity and so oftentimes when shit hit the fan so to speak it kind of spilled over onto their kids and both of my parents had difficulty managing their emotions so amongst all the chaos of being one of seven children, um, we had we had to manage my siblings and I, my mother's mental health. Um, she has obsessive compulsive disorder, and my father's temper, um, and the domestic violence that happened in our home. Um, my siblings and I are really close now, but just like everybody else growing up, there's sibling rivalry and. Um, I have an older sister that I often felt people liked more than me, and I wasn't as good as her. And, you know, you struggle when you're growing up. And so my childhood was no different. Um, But I do think the glue or the cartilage that helped me get through a lot of that and tap into that inner resilience um, was the fact that I was one of seven kids. And my parents did love me, even though there were moments where, it was scary and overwhelming. Um, I think those two things help helped me uh, navigate through some of those tough times. Um, when I was in junior high, when I was going through puberty, um, I started having hormonal issues, and um, my childhood home was. Um, difficult to be around and and it's hard to cope with situations that you have no control of and you're dependent on the environment in which you're living to set the tone of safety and support and protection for you and that was being challenged at that time and I started to act out and tried to manage my emotions in the best way that I knew how and that was um with using my voice and coping with my friends with um, alcohol. And um, I guess got myself into a little bit of trouble and uh, added on to that my dad um, experienced bankruptcy. And that kind of put uh, our home environment in a pressure cooker and um, kind of escalated the violence that was happening in the home. Um, And so I'm fortunate for my, my friends at the time, you know, most of us, when we're adolescents, we, we attach on to our friends and, um, and that's what I did and a boyfriend at the time, a long-term boyfriend. And, um, I suppose I moved out when I was 19, just to try and have a chance to find some calm in my life. and. but that was really difficult and um, I ended up struggling in university and um, to pay rent and to keep my grades up, go to work. Um, and so I bounced around a lot um, in different living accommodations because um, it was too hard to make ends meet on my own. And um, so I somehow managed to make my way through um, teaching. So I graduated when I was 21 and started teaching. And I think that, well, I became a teacher because I had a negative experience in junior high and I wanted to right that wrong and be a presence for adolescents in the most difficult time of their lives. And so I started teaching high school when I was 21. And as you can see, I'm 44, but I definitely do not look 44. And so when I started teaching, I looked like I was still in high school And, um, it was a challenge, but I feel as though I kind of started realizing that maybe I might be a fairly capable person. And, um, and so I started to blossom, I would say, and, uh, but I still struggled with managing my own distress, um, with alcohol and binge drinking on the weekend. And, um, and so, you know, uh, one step in front of the other, and fast forward into my third year of teaching, and my eldest brother took his own life. And that kind of rocked my world. And um, I remember his favorite saying was Carpe diem, seize the day. And after he passed, um, I seized the day and I left to go teach in the Middle East for a year and in North Carolina as well. And I met my first husband when I was teaching in the Middle East, and we got married and quickly separated um, eight or nine months later. And um, I was in my late 20s, and that 30-year mark is such a landmark where I felt that I needed to be married, I needed to have kids, I needed to have a home and I was pushing, 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 pushing. And I married him when I probably shouldn't have. And I remember questioning whether I should before I got married and, um, people around me, you know, encouraging me that if like, I didn't have to, but it's hard to stop a moving train. And, um, so I got married and we separated And uh, that was really hard on me because I wasn't on that path anymore. And um, I just really wanted to have a family, to have children, and replicate the kind of upbringing that I had growing up. And um, so I moved back in with my parents, and I was struggling. And I remember seeing a psychologist who informed me that she thought I was bipolar hypomanic bipolar, bipolar two. And um, that really was a hard label to sit with. And I remember I would go to work, come home, watch TV. And um, there was one occasion where I went out and I hadn't eaten and I drank way too much and I was sexually assaulted and that crushed me. And I think that the, you know, it's funny, my brother, in his suicide note, he left a paragraph about each one of his siblings and his parents and, and his close friends. And one of the statements that he shared with, about me was that there was a fire in me. And when I was younger, I didn't want to go to gymnastics one day. And several of my brothers who were over six feet had to carry me out into the car um, because I was fighting. I was so feisty. There was a fire in me and that fire was gone. Um, after his death, after all the moving, after the sexual assault, and I uh, was drowning in shame. And somehow I latched on to the idea of wanting to be a counselor. So after my brother died and I was in Bahrain, I remember searching how to become a counselor in the community to support someone like my brother who... was struggling and had no idea what to do had no idea what kind of help to access and uh just like the reason I became a teacher because of an adverse experience that I encountered I I did the same so I went back to school and became a school counselor and I was counseling kids for six years same amount of time that I taught which was weird and then um I went back to school and became a um I went back to school to do my master's and I became a therapist in the community. And in that process, um, I was encouraged by one of my professors to do my own therapy because when you're sitting with someone who is struggling, um, your nervous system responds to their nervous system and it's easy for your nervous system to be triggered by someone else. And so we needed to deal with all of our stuff on the inside so that that wouldn't happen so that my life, my traumas, my traumatic responses wouldn't overcome the session when really the session is about the client. So I did that and I was exposed to EMDR for the first time. And I did EMDR on my sexual assault. Well, I received it on my sexual assault. And I think that was probably the turning point in my life. And, um, I felt heard and seen and supported by someone. And I told my story. And um, the volume of that distress about myself, that shame, uh, started to lower. And, um, And so I guess I started clawing my way out of the hole that I was in. And I... I started my private practice and uh, started seeing clients and I realized that this is what I wanted to do. Being in a school was very chaotic and my nervous system wanted to be uh, quieter. It had been in the fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode for way too long. And um, so I decided to resign and started my, my private practice And was doing that for a while and and met my husband online, online, my current husband, my second husband. And uh, continued to do my own therapy and found different types of modalities that um, I felt were of benefit to me. Kind of like what Peter Levine says um, in Waking the Tiger, that trauma is a fact of life. It does not, however, have to be a life sentence. Not only can trauma be healed, but with appropriate guidance and support, it can be transformative. And and that's what it was. And so I decided that I needed, I had to create that wellness center that um, I started to think about when I was a counselor in the schools where, you know, students have access to a guidance counselor, like, like myself, social workers, psychologists, occupational therapists, physical therapists um, to support their success in the school. And, and I know that we had that, you know, in Canada with our healthcare system, but when things are free, there's a lineup. And, uh, when my brother, um, in the fall of 2000, in the fall of 2000, when he started to struggle, uh, we needed help now. And, um, I didn't know what that help was or where to find it. And so my dream was to create one place where, That's where you know where to go. And I wanted to create that place so that um, when people like myself who are trying to support their brother or need the support for themselves um, know where to go and they don't have to waste a lot of time and energy when they don't have that um, to find people that can support them and help them navigate through the forest um, and find their way. And so So I was practicing and that's what I wanted to do, but I knew that it would be a lot of work. And um I was 36 at the time. And so I thought, well, I found the person. Let's uh let's start having family. And so we did. Um, and it took a while to get pregnant the first time, but um we weren't able to keep the baby. And I ended up having a miscarriage and then another miscarriage and another miscarriage and another miscarriage and um, each one of them became more and more difficult to recover from and um, that dream that I had um, had to that dream that I had wasn't going to come to be and um, with each miscarriage I couldn't function and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't go through it anymore. And so I told my husband, like, well, he was happy to stop trying. Uh, it was hard for him to see me go through all of that. And um, so he got a vasectomy, and um, we tried to uh, adopt, but that uh, was going to be too long of a process. And I was now 40. And he's 44, so we decided not to try and adopt. And so my attitude, just like everything else in life, is effort. If I can't do this, this, then I'm going to do that. If this is going wrong, then I'm going to make something out of it. And so I um, decided to create the Wellness Center, and so I did. And um, a year later, COVID hit. And I, uh, for the time of COVID, basically lived in, in PTSD symptoms and couldn't sleep, couldn't function, couldn't focus, um, and needed to shift the way that I thought about doing my job. Um, my mother's OCD was also taking her down because she couldn't get out of the house. Um, They were now living in assisted living by then. Um, And uh, so I couldn't hold her, my aging father and my clients and my own stuff at the same time. And so I enrolled in the trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga certification program. And for the first time that helped me connect to myself, so with all of the traumas and adversities I've been through in my life, um, you know, there's a certain point where you have had enough, and in order to function, you just turn off that connection to yourself, that interoceptive awareness of sensing the messages that are coming from within you, and that certification program helped me reconnect with myself and my own power, my authentic power the authentic truly to really love myself for who I was for who I am. And um, and so the rest is history. So as of today, June 17th I've sold my home. And I am moving to the country. And, with my husband who has his dream job, and we're going to build a home on the water. And I will continue to support people but support people online. And Because I remember years back, I thought, you know, I only have enough stamina to help people one-on-one in my office. There's only so many people you can help during the day. And I thought, you know what? I need to do this. I need to put myself out there, normalize the shit that all of us go through, and show people that you can heal. It's in us to heal. And there are ways to tap into that healing process and make our way through that shit. And to normalize it by sharing our stories and having other people sharing their stories. And so that is what I'm going to do. This is what this is all about. To show you that I'm real. That you're real. You're important. You're loved. You're lovable. And you can heal. And that others, through listening to their stories and strategies that they use that help them um, offer you hope and encouragement and inspiration, to take one step at a time, to tap into that fierce, resilient self within you. And so I decided to launch this online business and um, I decided to write a book. So that should be coming out soon and do the training to support people in a way that supports me in the process. And so that brings me to you. And I hope that All of these podcasts, the free training, the courses online are of benefit to you. And I'd love to hear from you so that if they are of benefit to you, feel free to visit the website and leave a video recording or leave a question or a topic that you'd like addressed at some point in the Journey with Julie um, podcasts or online trainings. And this is just the beginning. And I look forward to our journey together. And I'd love to leave you with some words by Gabor Matei about, um, <clears throat> I heard this quote, it's sort of a documentary that he did, I can't remember. Um, but he says, there's a wisdom in trauma when we realize that our traumatic responses and imprints are not ourselves. And we can work through them and thus become ourselves. And that is what we're gonna do here at Journey with Julie. So I look forward to it and take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Journey with Julie. If you feel like this episode has been of benefit to you, feel free to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on my website or on Apple or Google Podcasts. And if you have a question, topic, or story that you'd love to share, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website and leave me a note. If you'd like more, feel free to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, and I'll see you next Tuesday where we'll hear more about how to shift your life from surviving to thriving.